do you do this episode? What is the reason to, to start a discussion about it? For me personally, it was Mary Lou. So um, beforehand, I, I never really thought... I, I had seen that in, in EYP, there are, there are some... There are some EYP national committees who do better than others in terms of uh, aiming towards diversity and inclusion. But EYP in general, I feel like we just do a horrible job. <laughs> it's just it's just like almost kind of copied paste people across Europe <laughs> that, that that we have. We're, we're, we're very um, I'm saying we're amazing in terms of like nationalities, in terms of culture. I really feel in terms of um, L- LGBT community into opening acceptance. Uh, a lot of these things, I feel we, we, we do better than most organizations. But when it comes to other forms of diversity or inclusion, um, I never really thought of it to the extent where Maridu started to tell me about how how messed up it is that the EYP, um, all the different things we do in EYP, like the way we run committee work, the way we run general assembly and all this stuff is basically embodying the upper middle, uh, upper middle to like upper class ways and their values and stuff like that. And when she started to tell me about that, I was like, oh my God, we've literally built an organization to represent one specific part of society. And then we ask, why is it just that part of society that's inside it? But maybe, Mary, you got like a better way of explaining I that. Think, I think that was already quite good. Just one thing that I would add is that I think we all all have a different entry point into EYP. Um, and that's already quite important also to ask ourselves, how did we mm-hmm. come across this organization? What brought us here? And and for me, the way I entered EYP was very much within that discussion already. Because in France, as you said, every national committee has different outreach strategies and different values and what kind of people they want to bring in. And France had this very, let's say, yeah, outreach policy that was very, um, very productive. I think one of some, one of the best in Europe, I would say. It might have changed. Um, so sorry if I'm not aware of everything happening in the network right now. But back in the days, so 2009, I guess. Um, I I got into EYP because um, there was this national strategy on outreach and uh, trying to to get people from really low socioeconomic backgrounds into EYP. And I came from a high school that was, you know, pretty like a public high school that was pretty shit in a kind of urban area with a history of immigration and low um, low socioeconomic. Um, uh, resources basically and that's how I got into EYP and at that point we wouldn't speak in English because none of us could speak English at that point Um, so everything was in French everything was very down-to-earth quite um, um, adapted um, uh, topics and committee committee topics um, and everything was very much different and actually as soon as I got out of France and discovered what was EYP uh, in other countries, in other NCs, it was it was a big shock because then I realized Francis was very special in that in that sense, and then I came to discover a bit more and what it meant and uh, just differences. Um, maybe if I can tell you how I entered EYP. For me, um, I've been always very interested in politics, <laughs> uh, so I started 
being part of the national parliament, youth parliament here in Luxembourg. And it was really not diverse. You know, like I was really like, I came into the room and I, it felt like I was the attraction, you know, because of my hair, because of my style, my skin color. Everyone was like, what is she doing here? Because I'm the only one. So I needed a space where it would be a little bit more diverse, you know? So Europe and why I'm also so involved in European projects uh, until today was like a, a space where um, I, I would still see a little bit more diversity than in Luxembourg. So this is how uh, I entered. And um, I remember when I entered, like I could not say two words in English. I was super shy. I've been told my whole life to settle for less, um, uh, to like, if I'm sure if I want to do politics, if I want to enter these spaces, because for that you need like stable home or parents that support you. People are telling me this, that don't even know who I am. And this again shows how much bias we have towards minority groups in society. Still like in the UIP, I felt, um, yeah, I felt welcome. I didn't do so many sessions, but I, I, I did a lot. I'm, I was very involved here in Luxembourg. I'm still, I'm, I'm still in, in the organization. I'm proud of their advisory committee. And um, yeah, that is um, my point. I would still recommend it to everyone, even though, yes, <laughs> as, as Marilu said, just one thing, like it's true. I remember that like to, now that I'm older and that I'm also myself in politics, like really elected, I start sometimes like, shit storms or discussions about topics no one would start and I remember like last year I started like a huge online shit storm because of like dress codes that one school wanted to to implement and it was affecting women um, more um, more than men and I was talking about it and then someone came to me and said but listen you did a conference back in 2016 where you asked people to wear to come like formal for general assembly. So everyone was there with suits and shirts. This is what you asked. So you also had a dress code. And I'm like, that's a good point. <laughs> um, that's a good point, but people evolve, right? Like we need to, this is why it's important that we have this discussion today. Like, can we not change this idea that to be like accepted in a general assembly, you need to dress up like in suits and, you know, what about the people that can't afford this? What about them? So, yeah. Yeah, maybe to jump in on that, because I've been thinking a lot about how EYP is exclusive kind of by design. And I think there are some areas that I didn't really notice because when I started, I was also in Spain. It was mostly private schools, I think, that joined. And it was mostly this like English uh, to practice English and in debating so kind of this also more formal English that you would practice in EYP and that's kind of how I started and then being on the board it was evident that we would target also those schools because we didn't do very good fundraising back then uh, so then it was almost like the whole organization was supported by these you know middle class or rich kids white kids that wanted to practice English and then go somewhere in Europe. Uh, and it was also, yeah, this conference. Yeah, very like mimicking, I think, the political middle cla uh, political class. And I think there, I think that's one side by design that we've been thinking about 
or at least myself financially. But also I think this other thing that Marilu brought up in terms of like how the structure of committee work and how the actual sessions come about and this very strict or very rigid structure is also very interesting to me. I don't have very yeah, new ideas on that, but I think it's also something that we've we've been opening up now when it's not just, you know, the infrastructure of EYP, but also the sessions, the programs, like how the events change and how rigid they are. And some national committees are much better at innovating there, I think. And EYP France is a good example. Um, yeah, like phrasing. Oh my God, phrasing. Like <laughs> whenever you get into that like phrasing time during committee work, the native comes out and the native not because they try harder, not because they've really been there to try to earn something or whatever. It's because they have been born as a native. Someone like myself would just step in there and everyone looks to me to be like, okay, what word should we use? Um, oh, and then we have all these like long lists of words that you could replace one with the other, but not really quite in that kind of sentence. So you need to ask somebody who's got that really good English language skill to do this. And then and then even after you've done your part of the phrasing, it goes to this chairs team who do resotyping. And I know not all presents do this, but some presents, they really like lead this in a way of saying, um, I need to make sure that this is written properly. And then they will actually edit all of the delegates work to try to make sure it sounds really, really official and nice because it represents their brand as an academic president. And yeah, it's like just face palm after face palm when you take a step back. <laughs> It's exactly what you say now, like, um, this is, this is also the main reason why I left spaces like that, like where it's about like, um, I love bringing people together. So I'm still involved and I believe that you can learn a lot from this, from EYP. But then at the same time, like there was so much focus on like making the phrases so perfect and having them an academic team that works on it until 2 a.m. And then I'm like, okay, so what is like, what, where do we bring these resolutions to? Who are we going to show it to? <laughs> to no one. So basically, <laughs> so basically, it's amazing to share like the inputs and also to write resolutions without having the need to show it to someone out there or whatever. This is, this is learning. But the night and the spending of the rephrasing and all that to show it to, no one? No. This is not my space. If I want to rephrase and make it sound perfect, I want like I want president to read it, you know? Otherwise, I just want to spend time and exchange energies with the people that I meet and learn from them and go home and be like enriched by new cultures and new experience and all that. So I love this space. It's not just UIP. I'm talking here also about my, for example, my youth party. They keep spending time behind their laptop, making things sound super nice. It's always the same people that talk, the people that are the best in the language. So if I have someone around me that speaks better German than me and we do resolution uh, reviewing, I'm not going to say hello, hello uh, uh, and give them my little German that I know. No, I will let the other one speak. So you silence people in the group by doing that. It's not inclusive. It's really not inclusive. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Like, I think when you just said this, Nathan, I was like, yeah, this is really the reason why like, I'm, not, I'm not there anymore. <laughs> like, I'm not in this chairs things anymore. I can organize, but for the rest... <laughs> 
Yeah, I think EYP tends to have, as you pointed out, this structural ways to exclude people and demand these kinds of things that traditionally are more for the upper middle class to naturally possess through either, well, being able to afford traveling or have a high education in foreign languages to be able to phrase things in English. And I think a lot of it might come from, well, at least from what my image of EYP is, it might come from how we tend to kind of advertise the organization to sponsors. Because even though, yes, technically no one really sees the resolutions, but a lot of the organization uses those that output, that tangible thing we produce as a way to show potential sponsors what we do. And that, along with having events with a lot of nationalities, people that are kind of able to travel, it, uh, in a way, is very... It looks very good to someone who might want to put a lot of money into making these events happen, but is it is it in a way something we should keep in our path of uh, diversity? And how do we avoid this kind of let's make things fancy looking for sponsors? Well, and kind of let that override our drive for including people that's that's such an interesting point actually because that really to me it highlights the fact that it's not a positive exclusion kind of process right it's not EYP is like that and trying to exclude people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds or people uh, coming from particular ge- geographical areas it's a process of exclusion and non-diversity and non-equity through other positive processes which are um really defending a certain type, as we said before, a certain type of, of, of people which are part of the elite. So what is being recognized um, in, in this sphere? Like, for example, what really helps me to, to analyze this kind of processes is Bourdieu in sociology. I think most of you know it. Um, he worked around the idea of habitus and what kind of capitals are more recognized or not. And I see that a lot in AYP. And he... He talks about the economic capital, um, the economical capital, the cultural capital, the symbolic capital, um, and the social capital. I think. Did I say that already? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I did. But um, within each of those different capitals, there is a certain kind of capital that is more recognized and more valued. So, for example, in the symbolic kind of capital, there is the dress code, the venues, like super fancy venues. That is valued in AYP, right? We prefer to have fancy and great and institutional venues rather than normal rooms or just a high school. Um, Same thing for the language. We want to phrase things in the most most complex and complicated way because it seems more valued. Same for the the cultural capital. There's a lot of set of international references that you need to have a certain access to, depending, of course, of your level of nativeness or your level of access to the international community in general. I mean, international or European community, uh, depending where you come from. And same thing with the economic um, uh, background also. It's if, if you don't have your own resources or don't have access to any external fundraising opportunities, 
then it's just much harder to travel. And that's just one thing. But of course, much harder to um, get any material. So for example, if you want to be in the media team having a computer, I mean, we take that for granted, but it's we shouldn't. Uh, let's put that straight. Not that's a lot true. of teenagers in Europe have their own computers, uh, have a camera, have a whole set of material and resources that are just not accessible. And one more time, it's not about actively excluding those who don't have a computer or who don't speak English. It's about valuing those who have access to these resources. Yeah. I like that because I feel that that also gives us a path on saying how we can actually make steps to change this. Um, because if it's about what you value, then we can think about, okay, what do we truly value and what do we want to do about that? So for example, if we take that one example of resolution typing, um, anyone who's listening to this, if anyone is going to be leading some kind of resolution typing or within that leadership team who are running some kind of resolution typing, well, you have a choice. You can say to yourself, okay, do I value having something that I feel is academically better and I can show off to people outside the session? Or do I actually value the work of the delegates and the accessibility to the language? So the resolution typing, instead of trying to form formalize all the language, could just be a space where we help people access the language easier. So you could reverse it. And if you value that, then your resolution typing can can be you take every sentence and you say can everybody in general assembly easily understand what they're saying if not okay how can it be rewritten for them to understand what they're saying and so we can actually take a look at what is it that we actually value and think about what do we do in our session and does that is that really reflecting that or are we just doing monkey see monkey do and just copying what we've seen before us yeah i think the big part of this is that we don't really think about this. Like we don't really put ourselves in the shoes of the delegate and think about what could kind of effect could it have on a participant if they come to a resolution uh, into a general assembly and they don't understand half the clauses in their resolution yet along the other resolutions. Yeah. There is actually a new resolution template thing. I don't know if you're also mm -hmm. talking about this, but that was um from last year um, that is kind of instead of the clauses bit is more like this resolution aims to and then you have like a general thing and then you have some background info and then a bit of like more plain um, explanation. Um, I haven't seen it in practice enough to know if this is something that delegates. I know that in the digital sessions that I was a part of, it was appreciated from people who also went from the clauses uh, system. I, yeah, maybe it's something to look into if yeah. you're interested. I can pass it around. You can reminisce. So what what is um <laughs> what is put in practice right now in uh, in EYP, um on different levels? Um, I wanted to mainly ask you because you're part of the international office, right? Um, what is going on in terms of DEI or inclusion practices in general? Mm, so I think the biggest change came last year also with my portfolio being changed into this diversity officer as well it's part of the portfolio it's not my entire uh, portfolio but as part of the foundation there is this big shift um into really trying to integrate the mission of the foundation um 
and becoming more actively discrimination critical. So we get a lot of training. I mean, me especially as a white person with no professional experience, uh, well, not experience, but um, yeah, much professional background uh, on the topic, of course, um, we are getting a lot of training from experts. Uh, and I think that is kind of the setup that we have right now. So it's kind of streamlining also, not just in my portfolio as a diversity officer, as the focal person for diversity, uh, giving people checklists for what they should do, but more how do we integrate this in absolutely everything that we do. So now there is, um, in all the fundraising that we do, we also, which we already did before with some stuff, but we integrate the mobility funds or accessibility um, funds in case anyone and especially now with the digital thing, it was a lot about who needs extra equipment, um, additional data, or um, that kind of stuff to be able to participate in the digital sessions. In other times, it would be other kind of equipment, but it's a lot about really integrating this from the start in the fundraising. Mm. Then as well, I think now what I'm working on with the, <clears throat> sorry, with the GB and with Julia there is about institutionalizing a little bit more uh, more pers perspectives and centering also um, EY peers who have lived experience. Um, so there is the Task Force on Anti-Racism and it's been going on now for a year and a half and also the Task Force on Accessibility. So it's kind of also getting people to lead these processes who know what it's like, um, which is, of course... Yeah, we're trying to support that also from the side of the office. Um, and I think what that would morph into next year, I don't entirely know. We we will plan it with them. Um, but the idea is that there will be some sort of feedback uh, also from members to, yeah, to continue improving. Um, I think also the welfare side has been growing a lot. I don't know if you know about the the SafeCore team. Uh, so we're doing a training actually now in November for all the national safe persons to actually be trained in training others to be at the events and support um, there. So I think that was a big, a big improvement. Yeah, I think that's kind of the three main ideas is to get professional training uh, for the office, then institutionalize more, you know, feedback from, from members and, uh, yeah, streamlining and everything that, that we do, especially with funding. Uh, as you just, you mentioned the, the task force, um, I think that really uh, experience equals expertise and that we should not forget that the ones that are really expert in the domains are the ones that experience this um, this, the inequalities on daily basis. So it's very nice that, I mean, it's good, uh, other organizations are not doing that, um, that you also try to involve the, the, um, uh, the members of the UIP network. And I was wondering also, like, because I, I read and the, the task force has always, they already reached out to me, um, but I don't know if they have like the context of people that could share these experiences with them. Do you, do you share the, the, the data with them? Like, 
or is it because of GDPR? Is this not possible? Basically, like, do, does the task force know who are people of color in the organizations? In the organization? No. We also don't know. Ah. Um, because we, before we were kind of collecting this information through the census, and then it would be like self reporting from national committees on how many people from vocational schools they targeted. Or um, then, depending on the country, some people could. Um, gather information on race but others couldn't um, so in general it's really not a yeah no in the like EU a, we are still like yeah. thinking that yeah whatever this is not a topic <laughs> yeah it's true yeah. some countries don't even allow this um, yeah because like we need to reach out to the people that are concerned and by that we need some info this is yeah so for that it's actually part of the there is the new process with the impact assessment. So there is a big change in how we evaluate uh, events. What are the things that we look out for? How do we know that EYP is actually achieving what we, what our mission is or what we set to achieve? And as part of that, there is this upcoming member survey. And then through that, we hope to gather more information about this, but then it's obviously very will have to be very like an optional yeah factor and then what the task force did uh so they did a dialogue i think it was in june um june or july and there they encouraged um people of color to come uh to this dialogue and share their experiences and kind of collect this they did a part of okay how do we reflect on how eyp can become more anti actively anti-racist and then the other side was also collecting this feedback but it was obviously up to the people who knew that this was happening uh to show up so there i think there is also another um, barrier of communication yeah i i hear from this there's a lot of things clearly going on within the network of trying to become better at this um, I would be really interested in hearing about the things that we've already done. Like, for example, we had the partnership or cooperation with the UNHCR, the refugee thing where we had uh, refugees participate in international sessions. I believe it was mostly international sessions. And that would be really interesting to hear if you have any insight on what we learned from that as an organization in trying to include those people in our events? Did you know anything about that? Yeah, yeah I know about the UNHCR um, cooperation. And of course, it's a great um, initiative. At the same time, and I think that here there is another debate on, are we including people? Like, what is the aim of the inclusion? Are we aiming for people to kind of follow this EYP journey and go to a lot of sessions or is there kind of like a um yeah a series of events uh that we want to include people in or is a one-off uh chance also enough and i think the unhcr is a um i think a great cooperation for the is and of course there um there was also funds to provide the participants with yeah suits or the laptop or all these uh, equipment but it was just for that one session um so then i think it's also up to people to judge um if that is like enough i think um and i think that was a very good 
yeah, cooperation with UNHCR. Um, I don't know if we had a similar, more like participant-based uh, cooperations. I know that as part of other funding, like BASIS, for example, with the Eastern Partnership countries, um, there was a lot of mobility funds to ensure that people from the Eastern Partnership countries could come uh, to events abroad. Um, so that was also very good. That's still ongoing. Um, and I think from there, I mean, there's been a big expansion of ensuring that because geographically you have the differences between Western and Eastern Europe uh, and there by design, we would also be excluding um, countries that have different uh, yeah, income levels. Um, I just wanted to jump, jump on that and react to what you both said, because um, so, yeah, when I was when I was a project manager for the basis program two years ago, there was there was quite a few outreach um, strategies and programs um, within the basis program. So, as you said, there was the mobility funds, which was very important, but also each each NC um, had to had to undergo an outreach outreach event at some point um so that was how i was at the at the time but i think here what would be really interesting to remember also is that outreach is not the same thing as diversity and as inclusion and as equity um so for me diversity is the presence of a wide range of differences within one group inclusion is the practice that ensuring that everyone in this group regardless of the differences feel safe and feel included and equity is the act of pursuing um, the fact that every process is impartial and equal and fair to everyone so that's three different different aspects of let's say DEI diversity equity and inclusion and this is why I think that outreach programs are not enough unfortunately it has to be much deeper and I think Joel you you talked about how those inequalities in general are extremely systematic and actually, yeah, within the format of AYP, that within the way that we structure our events, the way that we interact within each other, the way of how we talk about AYP. And um, so for example, to give you to give you an example, so I'm working right now as a freelance DEI, so diversity, equity and inclusion uh, freelance consultant. Uh, so mainly for non-for-profits who would like to restructure the way they work among each other and also what kind of clients they want to work with. Um, and what I'm seeing a lot is that a lot of organizations are willing to, of course, be more diverse, but really struggle to understand the difference between being diverse and being truly inclusive and equal in their processes. Um, obviously, we could argue which comes first. Is it the small little measures towards diversity and inclusion that will make the whole structure more equal or is it a more structural change that would lead to um, diversity and inclusion changes and for me I'm, I work mainly on decolonization actually because I believe that this is a factor that we're not talking about enough how colonization still has extremely strong um, strongly in-depth power dynamics that still are important in everyday institutions that are important in our lives, including the EU, which is for me deeply white-dominated, patriarchal, 
um, sexist, ableist, um, and all forms of intersections of oppressions that we could actually uh, name. And so my point being that there's different different means um, in order to be more diverse, to be more inclusive, to be to be more to be fairer. Um, the question is, where do we want to start? Do we want to start by um, implementing more outreach? Or do we want to start by looking at the core of how the organization functions? And like, okay, so of course we can we can try as many outreach programs as we want, but if we keep implementing parliamentary elite ways of thinking in our work, is that really going to have an impact or is that just going to help us get more fundings and try to have pictures with more people of color or people with handicaps or people from other diverse oppressed communities um, as far as our communication uh, trophy. It's quite harsh what I'm saying, but it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a pretty radical view, but this is, yeah, the, the work that I'm, I'm doing also outside of EYP and I can see how it relates to EYP in many ways. So interesting what you just shared uh, with us. Um, and it's true, like I am, um, what, what did I want to say? Yeah, so before COVID, like two months, two weeks before they announced lockdown, um, two years ago, I don't even know if it was last year or two years ago, <laughs> um, they have co-founded a platform that is called We Belong Europe, which is a platform that... Um, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that um, that gives like, um, yeah, this is a platform for people of color, for women of color, uh, and women. We have like a podcast and we run campaigns, uh, where we really try to talk to women, and they share with us um, like, what belonging means to them, like what belonging to Europe means to them, their story, how they sometimes came through Europe if they are refugees or their experiences when they grew up uh, in Europe. And also we really want to like change the narrative and also break stereotypes around people of color and really show that the European project is also, um, yeah, there are also people of color in, the, in that, right? And we have, I have like, not that long ago, I went to a conference, a quite big one, and I talk to companies and I talk to, to European organizations, but mainly to companies, like big ones. And, you know, like we are currently in a, in a, in a time where um, the Vogue, like Generation Z are Vogue. Like if you do something, if a company or an organization does something bad, you cancel it. <laughs> so, no, no, that's true. And companies are really interested in like not being canceled. Because with digital age, like if you do something bad, well, everyone will give you a shitstorm and it's very bad for your company. So they reached out to me and they said, I don't, I, I won't say names, but like, I remember like this huge, like big company came, said, yes, um, we tried to form like a job application where we also try to reach to minority groups. That means people from LGBTQY plus community, uh, people of color, um, and so on, and not not no one applied. So there's this general thinking that if we try and no one applies, it's their fault. Like we tried, that's that's enough. 
So this is not enough. Like I told them, there are people out there like Marilou, like also We Belong is also now developing this part. Um, this part like really help to rethink the structure um, because it's really, I think it's super crucial nowadays. And there's really this, 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 this difference between diversity and inclusion. I give you examples. I give you concrete examples because my, my life <laughs> and my ambitions are mainly in, in places where there are only men, mostly white. So me going into these places, I can tell you a lot what I experience. Few, like one example is that, you know, if you have a person of color, a young person of color, a woman that wants to do politics, that gets elected, you are fast, you become a token. Like you become the diversity token. So the pictures are all <laughs> turned to you. The pictures that they use, they, it's you. But no one ever asks, okay, so how do you navigate this? Like, we know that you're the only person of color here, but like, how is it as the youngest person in the council? Can we help? Do you, uh, are they nice to you? Nothing. But using me to, to really let me talk also about always my experience and the racism that I face and all that without giving me a safe space to come to when I struggle. And believe me, I do struggle because microaggressions I mean we all know what microaggressions are I experience them daily but also heavy attacks like racist attacks hate speech online um, all these things that have impacted my mental health in a way I can't even describe it and I've been alone home crying about it there's no one then taking coming with the camera and saying like okay let's take a picture now about her crying and I'll maybe try to help her so this is what I'm talking when, like, when for years, like I say, politics, Luxembourg politics have been mainly dominated by certain people, and I come in, there's no question of, is this, is this a, like, is this okay? Like, is the structure okay for, to, to welcome my people of color? Like, what can we do to welcome more people of color, you know? Because it's a fact, I experience racism. There are other people that don't. <laughs> so, like, um, and I do. And I, and this is super crucial. So this is really where diversity, diversity is not going to save us. Representation is not going to save us. It's uh, true with thinking of, of structures um, and institutional change that is, that is saving us in the future. So then in the sessions themselves, um, how, how would it be or... How how do we think EYP would take it if we said, let's say General Assembly, let's move away from suits, right? That, that's, that's like a, a very obvious <laughs> kind of first step, uh, moving away from suits and actually having some kind of inclusive way in which we get to share ideas, have discussions, hear other teams out and collaborate on their resolutions and stuff like this. Moving from a structure that we've done for the past like 30 years that's represented this political class that our sponsors kind of know about, how do we think... Um, people in EYP or uh, let's say IOGB different NCs and stuff would take it if there was a push to say let's move away from like that kind of structure I think they will welcome it <laughs> and it, I mean like really I don't think you should write on a paper uh, uh, it, you should not impose a dress code this is the whole point uh, let people like uh, be free to choose like 
this is what I had this it's the same discussion I had it also here like a few months last year no but then people will come uh naked and all that and I said hmm like this is not true because like uh, participants they 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 know like we don't need to teach them or to force them for them to just wear a t-shirt or <laughs> to come to a general assembly right um it's just about the idea and this is the point that I will then give the floor to the other speakers but look if when we talk about these dress codes and these things Men and I had this de- I have, again these debates they re- they I have them a lot you know for people that have money it's easy to say okay I have a dress uh, for I don't know an evening dinner with my parents and family members I have something to wear to go to school and I have something to wear when I go play on the outside uh, other people in- that's including me when I was young I will never forget that. When I come, my, I have, my mother is from immigration background. We came to Luxembourg. My father was still studying and we were invited to, a, how do you say, um, in communion? Oh, co- it's, communion? A, it's a Christian ritual, right? The one that you have around when you're 12? Yeah, right? something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah, where, <laughs> where the children get, yeah, where the children get presents, like, and people there, they come like nicely dressed and stuff. So I was wearing a jeans with a nice, Blau, like blues, you know, because my parents couldn't afford to buy me a 200 or 300 euros dress to just go to one event. The comments that they got is unacceptable from, you should have said, told us something. We could have given her something, but this is like the way she's dressed now is unacceptable. I was 11, you know, and I heard all this. So again, this is again, like this shows again, I'm different than the rest um and this is the debate that was i have a lot with other people that say yeah but they are appropriate uh dr- clothing for different occasions yeah but some people can't afford a pro- like this clothing for so many occasions because there are so many occasions in the out there this is impossible so i think that by leaving the choice to the ones that participate It's it's good and and we are it's new generations of young people that are as I said Vogue and Gen Z and you know like uh, they don't they will not come with the new Prada and Sh- uh, okay sorry for the names but you know like they will not come with like the 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 most expensive clothing and if they do they will probably um also accept someone that is coming the way they want to. You know, especially in EYP spaces. So just leave the the, the choice or uh, agree. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Because now I'm saying like to avoid social like differences between people, maybe agree like to have a dress code. <laughs> But I'm against that. I am against. This is just the books that tell me to say that. No, uh, uh. I'm against. I'm for freedom. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's so interesting what you're saying, Anna, and I think that the, the dress code topic, we can all really relate to it because how many times, I think specifically when you're a woman, maybe more, I'm not sure, that's debatable, but um, that was a whole discussion, you know, what are you going to wear, GA? What is it going to be like? Um, trying to navigate between, <laughs> is it 
Is it sexy enough? Because let's talk about this. There was a lot of sexism going on um, around GA outfits. I don't know if you can remember. And I think I participated a lot in that. Kind of making fun of women having skirts too, too short or being dressed not sexy enough. I mean, that's a whole other topic. You're spilling the tea. You're spilling the tea. Here. Oh, yeah. Oh, we are. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a lot around that. Um, but also, I agree with you, Yana, when you said that It's like, I think it's actually important to acknowledge the fact that there, sh there should be a, a dress code or at least some guidelines, but that those guidelines shouldn't be exclusive or shouldn't prevent, you know, all the forms of expressions to come to come there. So, for example, if we if we want to to be clear about the fact that when you go to GA, you're supposed to be wearing formal clothes. That doesn't mean that it should be a suit, right? A formal clothes could mean a lot of things. And let's be open about this. Um, for example, you can't see you can't see right now, but I'm actually wearing um, a headscarf right now. Um, should that be considered as a as as a part of, of formal clothing? In my case, it's not a re religious sign, but it is for a lot of women. And a lot of women also don't necessarily participate in YP because it's not valued uh, to be part of the Muslim community for example, but what what should be, then it's not about forbidding a formal dress code, it's more about asking, is the dress code that we want to talk about is inclusive, is it diverse, and does it um, promote equity? Um, and in I, I think I was, it happened two times in GA where I had to actually change clothes because I had some... Uh, some reactions from fellow EYPers telling me that it wasn't appropriate what I was wearing. And in both times, it was what people like to call ethnical um, clothing. So, for example, a, a piece of fabric that would be a bit too colorful or, um, for example, wax kind of um, African, African. What? Yeah, yeah, uh, it happened. Or uh, different piercings and that kind of stuff. I don't know how it is now, but it, it happened to, I'm sure, a lot more people than just me. Um, and of course, there is a intersection between what we think is non-formal, um, what is non-white, basically. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good point. I think a couple of things that you said also kind of distinguish between talking about the EYP structures and then what we actually do on top of this. So on the one hand, you have an EYP structure where we say uh, people should be formal or wear like white people formal clothes for GA. But on the other hand, you then have what the people do. So for example, this literate actual... Um, use of exclusion of said no for me that doesn't meet my my standard of formal like wear something else those kind of acts but then also let's say lots of people from from my generation will definitely remember that the microphone game god right the oh microphone my god game, what did is, we do like, <laughs> what is this i know and we were all a part of this It is, okay, the microphone game is the most horrible thing that, like, I can see Joe looking at like that as well. Like, we were all a part of this. It's what always mm. the officials used to do. And apologies, uh, yeah, for calling this out. But it's what officials used to do during General Assembly, which is whoever is holding the microphone, then the officials team would 
basically uh, describe that person through gestures. So this could mean, yeah, pretty nice. This could mean I would bang. Um, so, so Nathan, Nathan is, is touching his beard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah. Yeah. So when I say we can do we can do audio description here for, so Marley, can you for promoting what? accessibility. So what Nathan is touching his beard, very 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 delicately. This means very nice. Uh, he's touching his right ear. This means yes, I, I would like to bang or have sex with <laughs> or something like this. Uh, this is head head rubbing. Uh, uh, not even last person on earth or stuff like this it would literally be just like that classic lad culture stuff Mm -hmm. um, would be the core part of EYP general assemblies it's what us as officials would always do Uh, I I had done that for maybe more than 10 sessions in a row before I then said in a session guys we're not doing this and I literally had the chairs team who rebelled and was like, what, what the hell? What, what do you mean we're not doing this? I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to promote the sexualization of underage dads. Oh. And then <laughs> in the face of like, ah, well, I, I can't really argue with you on that. But then there was still some frustration. But that's such a good example because it really shows that we all participated. I mean, I'm, I'm talking for most of us. We all participated in the super oppressive models. Yep. And it's it's okay now to talk about diversity and inclusion <laughs> and equity, um, but that's that mainly shows that it's it's not within individual behaviors that it all changes. It's within mm. something that's wider. Did women also do that? Not like um, yeah, but it was like official towards delegates. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so bad, man. Nay, yeah. I never did that. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. it was Ew. very bad. <laughs> but I'm sure, I mean, there is the microphone game, but there was quite a few other super sexist tools that were used. I mean, sexist jokes in any ways, like super, as you said, Nathan, very strong light, light culture, yeah. subculture. I mean, the amount of time needed before we actually said that silver rule was a thing in which you cannot sleep with somebody who reports directly to you. Like, literally the amount of time needed before people really emphasize mm-hmm. that that should be a thing. So yeah, yeah, the, the things have changed quite a lot. So it was kind of re- really cool, cool to hear from Isa, especially about like the resolution type and stuff. Like for us, um, when we think about this, we have our memories from the past. And I guess we look at EYP today with our memories of the past saying things need to change based on what I saw in 2015. But maybe there have been lots of really cool progress things in which we haven't seen that much, especially because EYP has been digital. And maybe there's so much background work and discussions that have been going on that as things start to reopen and we start to do in-person sessions, maybe we are entering a new era of this and then maybe if we continue these discussions as we're having today we can actually help that era take more positive steps yeah i think that's one of the kind of all like burdens that the yp as a network is going to have to overcome with this is that we can have as many trainings as we want for the io members or for the event safe persons but the people presiding these events and being in the leadership are not going to be necessarily those people that receive those trainings. And that's going to be me going to an event after COVID. And if I haven't thought about this, there's a good reason, there's a good chance that someone in my position could be still 
proceeding with something like the microphone game. It's not something that's necessarily out of the question because there are people that have been in EYP in, let's say, 2015 and are still continuing that, that are not so much um, exposed to these topics in their daily lives. And that's going to be a interesting question of how do we then take all of these learnings and things that we're going to try to improve and execute that on a level where it gets implemented at the events that we do that are not so much under the iron grip of the iOS international sessions, for example. I mean, it's definitely slow, but it still happens. Like the welfare policy also, which I think was probably the first time this whole lad culture, which was a direct result of lad culture um, and the silver rule and all this kind of stuff happened was 2016, I think. And now it's pretty established that most events have an event safe person. So, I mean, it's been five years, but I think still now the fact that there is someone in every national committee who can consult if needs be for a program on is it you know is it respecting a minimum amount of hours of sleep for example which is unthinkable I think in our time or is this um yeah is there going to be someone there to ensure that there is a lot of workload or if something happens that they can handle it I think that's still now happening outside of the of the IO. So to me, that's a very good sign, but we're still, I think, incredibly fast as a network. And I think we can't forget also that we are not, like, we're not a bubble outside of, you know, reality and society. And I think there is still a lot of people in EYP, including maybe ourselves, some of us at a, at a time also embodying all these structures and perpetuating, um, exclusiveness as we participate in EYP. Um, and it's not something to, yeah, to judge, but I think we're all part of this fabric of society and I probably unconsciously would still do it. And maybe if there is a head organizer somewhere who wants to have a gala dinner, uh, there is nothing that the IO can really do about it. And it's mostly through that also individual change that people will start maybe starting their EYP journey in a different in a different way and what we perceived as normal back then will be a new yeah a new normal maybe there'll be EYPers who start EYP without dress codes um, yeah or yeah I'm convinced that's the hope <laughs> mm-hmm. and and I really think that the IO is doing a fantastic work and um the the welfare policies were really really great progress i think i kind of left yp at that time when it started being implemented but um yeah i think it's it's such a great thing um and i would love to see how it really works actually i'm kind of missing out on that but i think that i would really like to call out on on everyone who's still in yp and quite active in the network to reconsider the fact that yp is purely a political in a way that it functions I think that we have demonstrated through many examples and we could literally talk about this for another three hours. Like I have a list of examples that is very long. It's actually four pages. Um, but um, <laughs> um, So yeah, of course, EYP is an apolitical organization, but the way it functions is 
truly conservative. Um, and it is. Um, um, if we start from this, this fact, um, we can all agree on, depending on our level of awareness or the level of oppression that we felt personally in the organization, then we can start re-questioning every part of our even format through the simple questions of, is it diverse? Does it promote diversity? That's number one. But the most important ones are, is it inclusive? Will everyone feel safe there? And uh, is it equitable? Uh, meaning, will does it promote fairness um, in itself? Specifically, if there are parts of EYP formats that we kind of feel are unquestionable, so for example, committee work or GA, it means that we need to question them. And it means that it needs to be changed in a way or it needs to be refought. Um, that's what I would end on. I would also say, like, it's for since we have someone from the office, like, still reach out to Marilou. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that with We Belong. Like, this is for sure. Like, we, we need her, like, we need her to, to help us. <laughs> <laughs> Just, we need I'm many people saying. to help us, I think. Yeah, yeah. We are all in Berlin. I'm now come also to Berlin in three days. So <laughs> let's do it. Well, I should definitely let's hire you it. to uh, to advertise on my services. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this I can do for you. No problem. And on that note, I have to say, guys, check out We Belong because it's an amazing platform. Hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do we have a website now? www.webelongeurope.com and on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Amazing. Nice.